Cincinnati and Houday Nation. Today is Thursday, September 19th, and my name is Cincy Chase, and this is the Cincy Chase Podcast, Episode 1, No Moral Victories. Welcome to my podcast, guys. I've, I've been really excited to actually legitimately do this, right? I mean, I've taken a few chances earlier in the summer. They didn't quite work out, and they didn't quite operate the way I wanted to do it, but uh, here I go again, restarting the podcast, trying to make it more me I guess more conversational uh, between me and you guys, the listeners here in the greatest city on earth, right? Cincinnati, the greatest city on earth. Um, I have a lot to talk about today. There's a lot that happened in the last couple weeks and there's a lot happening this weekend. So for those of you who are new to the podcast and haven't listened to, you know, the earlier ones that I've done, essentially during this podcast, I just rant and talk about all things Cincinnati. I talk about events happening in the upcoming weekend, so starting tonight, going through the weekend. Uh, And it's typically family-friendly events. That way you and your whole family can go check out what's happening around Cincinnati, right? So with this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the Scholar Richardson case because I I think that's a pretty big deal to talk about. It, It made national news, right? It's all over the world. Well, not really all over the world, but it's all over <laughs> at least Midwest America, right? The Skylar Richardson case. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bengals start to the season leading into today's segment. So every podcast, I have a segment, and that's my main focal point of the podcast. And what I'm really going to rant about, it's unscripted. It's just going to be wazoo out the top of my head because that's the way I operate and the way I think. And it's going to be called No Moral Victories because let's talk about uh, let's talk about those Bengals, right? Houday Nation, am I right? 0-2 start. Uh, to summarize that thesis so uh, you can mentally prepare going into it. And I like conversation. I like you guys uh, providing feedback. Uh, so definitely tweet at me and I'll, I'll post or I'll share my social medias there. But definitely tweet at me along with the conversation. Let me know how you feel about it. But the main premise of my thesis is that there's no moral victories in football. There really should be no moral victories in any sports. Because in the end, it doesn't matter about how close you lost a game. But what matters is the wins and losses and that you lost a game. Uh, We're going to do some more Cincinnati sports talk. We're going to talk about the weather for this upcoming weekend. And... You know, upcoming events, like I said. So our event spotlight this weekend is, of course, Oktoberfest Cincinnati. And we will talk about that uh, today. Wow, today looks really nice outside. I'm looking out the window right now. The pool is glittering from the sunshine. There's only a couple clouds in the sky. It's a beautiful day, guys. And let's get right into the Cincy Chase podcast. Episode one, No Moral Victories. Guys, as always, what I offered in the other ones, if you want a chance to uh, for, for a sponsorship, right? Get your business plugged out there. Get your name out there. Uh, because there are people who listen to this podcast, believe it or not. And I highly encourage you guys who listen to this to share it. Um, yeah, DM me on my Instagram or Twitter, Cincy Chase, C-I-N-C-Y Chase. Uh, 
That's what that's my social medias, and I'm on Facebook that way too. Uh, DM me uh, throughout the podcast or send me tweets. Keep included in the conversation. But if you want sponsorship, send me a DM in those or just email me, cincychase at gmail.com. All right, so let's talk about the Skylar Richardson case. Uh, so for those of you who may not be aware of what it was or you just need a recap, essentially, Skylar Richardson was a girl from Warren County who she was 18, just turned 18 at the time. She was a senior in high school, had just gone to prom night and everything. Uh, she was pregnant for nine months, didn't find out until essentially a couple weeks before her pregnancy because she didn't really show, you know, she didn't really show signs of it, I guess, like two too obvious of signs, right? She didn't have a huge baby bump. Um, she gained a little bit of weight, but it's probably that more progressive weight that you don't really notice until you look back in photos. Like, oh wow, yeah, she did gain weight. But you know, like when you when you're in a relationship with someone, you gain weight, right? And she had a boyfriend that she loved. She absolutely loved this guy, um, and it seemed like he really loved her, which was really sad too and tragic in that instance. But you know, like I've gained weight. Since me and my girlfriend started dating four years ago, she's gained weight. We've talked about it. However, it's been four years of progression, right? We're not going to, like, look at each other and be like, Oh, you've gotten heavy. You know? No, like, well, one, it's it's called love meat, right? Because it, it means we're happy. We're eating happily. We're, hap- we're happy together. But you just... The people who you're close to and you see every day, you're not going to notice that progressive weight change. Well... She didn't have ob- like she didn't have an obvious baby bump, right? Um, so the baby did not, you know, the baby wasn't part of her perfect life that she wanted. So essentially, what happened was she had the baby out of secrecy the night after prom night. Um, she gave birth to it in the bathroom, fell into the toilet. Uh, she panicked. Whether if it was stillborn or alive, we don't know for sure. And that's what leads to the ultimate verdict in the case. Um, But she did go and bury the baby in her backyard. Whether she tried to burn the baby or not, that's all hearsay. But in the end, she buried the baby and moved a giant flower uh, flower pot over top of it and tried to go on about her normal life. Uh, She was happy afterwards because she did not have a baby. No one knew about it. And life was good. And the perfect life, according to her, was her her boyfriend, her pets, and her family. That is the perfect life. The baby did not fit into that perfect life. Um, so, she's been, she got, you know, she had to go back to her OBGYN. She went to a different one thinking that she could get away with it. And the doctor looked at her case and was like, hmm, what happened to the baby? You just saw us like a month ago and you were pregnant. So, you know, you, you were due, essentially, right? Uh how's your baby? And she panicked, right? And she admitted to her OBGYN that she had the baby, it was stillborn, and that she buried it in her backyard. So obviously the OBGYN calls up, you know, the the Warren County Police and they go launch an investigation. She gets arrested. She spent the last two years on house arrest. And finally, uh, the state of Ohio versus Skylar Richardson just happened uh, last week. And it was a big ordeal. I was tracking every live stream of the case happening for those two weeks, right? I was watching every live stream. I was watching 
the prosecutor's evidence, the defendant's evidence, and everything in between. And ultimately, what the jury found Thursday last week was that Skylar Richardson uh, was, of course, acute, or she, of, of, of course, got accused for gross abuse of a corpse. Like, everyone knew that was going to happen because she, you can't just bury a dead body in the backyard, right? But um, what she did, she got off manslaughter. She didn't get any charges for manslaughter. And then on Friday, she was told that essentially she could walk free because she's really already served the maximum penalty for gross abuse of a corpse uh, with her two years of of a uh, house arrest. Um, so she's walking free right now. She's working at her defendant's lawyer's office, uh, the Rickers, Charlie Rickers, the GOAT of Southwest Ohio. Uh, so let's talk about it. Ultimately, you know, I think the jury got it right. Do I think she did it? Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally, I think she did it. But within the case itself, I think the jury got it right. And I know that that's, that's an unpopular opinion, right? I'm probably going to hear about in my, in my Twitter mentions, in my DMs. You guys are going to come after me saying, oh, she's, she's a horrible murderer. How can you not call her a murderer? She's disgusting. Blah, blah, blah. That, and before you, you know, start throwing torches at me, I agree. I agree. She's awful. <laughs> I think she killed the baby. But regarding the case itself, there was not enough foolproof evidence brought up by the prosecutor's office to, you know, to eliminate reasonable doubt. Like, it, it was easy to honestly believe that possibly she did not kill the baby and is a stillborn. And how how do how is that? Well, the state of Ohio, the prosecutor's office, their expert witnesses and evidence essentially became the defendants. Because they had the testimony of one uh, forensic expert who was only going off of word of mouth, what she heard during the interrogations. You know, she heard, yes, I burned the baby and then I buried it. Well, the forensic expert never actually went out to the, you know, to the backyard and studied it to find any hints of that actually happening. And Charlie Rickers, he just reamed her for not doing her job. He's like, you're a forensic expert, but you didn't actually go out to the field and do any testings or studies or anything. She's like, yeah, no, you're right. I didn't. So, you know, drop the ball on that. Then they go to another forensics expert from Indianapolis to to examine the bones and her findings were that there were no signs of burn marks on the bones or that the baby had been burnt and there's no signs of trauma on any of the bones besides post-mortem so essentially when she was burying the baby but there's no signs that she killed the baby in any way um the only signs yeah of, of damage to the bones at all is when she was burying and probably putting the giant 25 pound flower pot over top of it because she couldn't dig the hole deep enough to bury it so there's just a lot it, it was an uphill battle for the prosecutor's office the whole way um if they weren't going to win that case the only thing for sure that was going to happen to Skylar Richardson was gross abuse of the corpse and that's what she got uh you know there's just too much reasonable doubt that was happening and so they go off of hearsay of the interrogation. She did two interrogations with the private investigators, and it's almost a shame that her family didn't get an attorney involved for the second one. I mean, you have the right to an attorney. I I would demand that attorney to be in there with me. And you can't say that they put words into her mouth, but 
when you listen to the second interrogation, when they think that they know that she burned the baby, you know, for the first 20, 30 minutes of it, she is so adamant, I did not try to burn my baby. And they kept going on. They went from good cop to almost bad cop. Like, look, no, you know, you can get in a lot of trouble for this. We know what you did, so just tell us. Did you burn the baby? And she's like, I didn't do it. Well, you know, they keep going on. They start putting like a almost a mental narrative into her mind of how she could have burned the baby. And that's ultimately what she played off. So you don't know if they were putting words in her mouth or not. But but the hearsay means nothing when it comes to, you know, what's actually happened, right? Um, what the evidence shows. The evidence doesn't show that she. there were no burn marks in the yard. There's no burn marks on the baby's remains. Uh, and then even in the interrogations, she talked about when she had the baby and she looked at it, it was white, which is usually a sign that the baby was dead. The umbilical cord was already detached, probably a sign that the baby was stillborn. These are all things that she talked about without knowing that make it sound like she had a stillborn child, right? Um. So, yeah, uphill battle for the prosecutor's office. I think the jury made the right decision, but I I still think she did it. Uh, Let me know what you think. Uh, Send me your opinions on Twitter. Um, See, the text messages are just too much like, I I don't know. It identifies too much that she didn't want that child. And whether if it was stillborn or not, she didn't care. You know, she she wasn't going to have that child either way. Her text messages, like I said earlier, were to her boyfriend, you plus my family plus my dogs equal my perfect life. She does not mention the baby. Uh, She kept the baby a complete secret from her boyfriend. She kept it a secret from her whole family. She obviously didn't want people to even know she was pregnant nor even had an opportunity to have this baby. It's sad. It's a sad story. And, And you look at the mom, right? You look at the mom. And I think the mom is the most guilty in this whole trial because the mom told the mom put it like planted into her brain that the perfect image of herself, the ideal image is you have to be skinny. You you don't have a baby, you have to be skinny. Go to college, uh get a job, don't have a baby even though you had the you know, unprotected sex. You don't don't suffer the repercussions from it, right? Yeah, it, it, it's just a sad case, and yeah, you know, I my heart honestly goes out for everyone involved there. I think that Skylar, in a sense, has just been deranged by the way her mom has raised her. Um, I mean, shoot, her mom had her out there the next day sending her pictures of, like, running three miles and progressions from her little stomach that she had grown because of her pregnancy. Like, this girl gave birth by herself in a toilet, and later that day went out for a three-mile run. Like, how, how are your organs not falling out of you at that point? She's pretty tough. I'm not going to lie. She's a pretty tough kook. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the Skylar Richardson case. That's the big deal that's happened in the last couple weeks around here in Cincinnati. Uh, Skylar is walking free. She's working at Charlie Ricker's office right now, which is crazy. Um, she'll probably be going back to school. Just her, her life, uh, it, this is the funniest part to me, is that she was working at the YMCA as a child care, right? Working basically in the daycare facilities, and she wants to go to school for early childhood education. Pretty crazy, but she didn't want the baby. 
And that, everybody, is my tea with the Skylar Richardson case. All right, so let's talk about my segment for the week. It's called No Moral Victories. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? <laughs> uh, so, Bengals fans, I know we just want a reason to get excited about something, even when we lose, but the Bengals are 0-2 to start the season. Guys, the Browns are 1-1 one one to start the season. The Bengals are 0-2. The Browns are 1-1. One one. Yeah, I know. It was a close, nail-biting loss to Seattle when we lost 21-20 with seven seconds left on the clock. And Dalton obviously throwing a forward progress pass because that ball went about 20 yards, got ruled a fumble instead of incomplete pass, even though his arm was clearly forward before the ball came out. And what, what grinds my gears is the inconsistency of play calls by the referees because what happened last week between the Rams and the Saints, right? Jared Goff throws a forward pass. Definitely looks more like a fumble than what Andy Dalton's did. But they roll it an incomplete pass and not a fumble recovered by St. Louis. Or not St. Louis, uh, New Orleans. And there you go. So there's no consistency at all between calls with refs. And I know they're human. They're going to make errors. But come on. That was clearly... You know, that was clearly a fumble. and Or that was clearly an incomplete pass. And you think, well, they only had second, seven seconds left. Well, that's essentially what all they had left during the first half um, against Seattle. They only had somewhere between like less than 10 seconds left. And instead of kneeling to end the, end the half, like what Marvin Lewis would have done, they went for it and they got the touchdown with a huge pass from Dalton to John Ross. So, they lost to Seattle 21-20 in a heartbreak nail-biter. But then they came home last weekend. The home opener of the season against the San Francisco 49ers. Galapagos and his crew. Nick Bosa on the other side. Bengals lose 41-17. Second game of the season. First home opener. Bengals came in essentially with a chip on their shoulders and got humiliated by the 49ers. And already the Boo Birds came out. It wasn't Who Day after the first quarter. But the second quarter is already Boo Day. Boo Day, Stinker Bengals, Bungles, right? The Boo Birds were out. And that was kind of disheartening to see. And I felt bad for the players in the sense that it's still early in the season. And I think what brought the Boo Birds out so early was our moral victory against Seattle. So the Bengals lost because of this moral victory mentality. We all drink the Kool-Aid, the fans, the team, the whole city. But the reality is the Bengals were predicted to only win two to three games at most this season. But because they lost in such a close way, they're leading for a good portion of the game in Seattle against the Seahawks. Like in Seattle, one of the toughest environments to go in and play in. We looked really great, right? The defense looked unstoppable. Like how many sacks against Russell did we have? Um, Russell Wilson was running around like a chicken with his head cut off, right? But then we come back home and reality hit that this was a team predicted to only win two to three games. And that was the defense that ranked 32 out of 32 last season, right? 
the defense. I mean, it's the same personnel. It's the same personnel. It's the same tools on that defensive, just on that defensive team. So it it would have been almost unbelievable to imagine that they would have made such a 180 turnaround. There's going to be faults in there. There's going to be problems. But the thing is, we all rode this moral victory high horse. You know, Lance McAllister released a poll talking about how optimistic or pessimistic for the season are you. And something like around 80% of the poll was optimistic. And then last weekend, released that poll again, and it was around like 80% were pessimistic for the season. That just shows you the volatility of Cincinnati Bengals fans right there, right? Honestly, sports fans in general. You ride the wave of highs and lows. You don't look at the reality or you don't look at the overall situation. You're playing it game by game, essentially. All the Bengals looked awesome against Seattle, even though they lost. They looked awful against San Francisco. I don't know if I said they looked awful before. I don't know, guys. My mind's kind of rambling right now. Maybe I should script this a little bit, huh? I I have, like, notes in front of me, but, you know, we all make mistakes. We're humans, just like the Bengals. So the problem with moral victories, right? We treated that season opener like the Bengals had just lost in the Super Bowl. Like, we had a stellar season. It was a close one. We lost the Super Bowl. We didn't lose freaking game one of a 16-game season. Um, the Bengals were like, oh, yeah, we looked really good. Zach Taylor's making, you know, he's changing up play calls out there. He's making adjustments, something that was unheard of under Marvin Lewis's leadership. The team were riding this high horse. They came into the city for the home opener with a huge chip on their shoulders, feeling high and mighty. Feeling like they just won the game, even though they lost. You know, they lost that game against Seattle, but they came in acting like they're winners. The whole city, the whole Houday Nation were acting like the Bengals were winners. And the problem is, they should have came into the city. They should have came into the home opener with the feeling that they just lost a game. That they have something to prove, right? They should have came in feeling like losers. So that way they would have... You know, and from the home crowd, with the home crowd behind them, brought some energy into the stadium and hopefully at least put up a little bit closer of a battle against the 49ers. And then you get the Boo Birds, you know, the fans who are already booing the Bengals. That's just humiliating to me as a Cincinnati fan. It's the, it's the second game of the season. Come on. You shouldn't be booing your home team RA. It's the first home game of the season. You shouldn't be booing them. When we all knew that at most they're supposed to win three games, you shouldn't be booing them. You got to be supportive as the fan base. I know you're paying money for the tickets to go there. I know it costs a lot, but you know what you're paying for. You're well aware that the, Beng- that the Bengals came into the season with the 32nd ranked defense in the league, right? You came in there knowing that they weren't going to win more than four games this season. Maybe they will. That would be, I like to stay optimistic. I'd like to see that happen, that they can win more than four games. But, you know, you got to stay realistic about it. you got to stay realistic about their probabilities. But the whole fan base just, again, we acted like we just lost the Super Bowl, but we're the AFC champs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So, because of this mentality, you set an unrealistic goal on the team, right? You made you set an unrealistic goal and precedent of how you thought about the team coming into this game. And unfortunately, reality struck. So, because of this unrealistic goal, you were upset about, so you started booing them. Boos? I, I have to agree with Andy Dalton on it. What What does booing accomplish? Right? You're just knocking your team down while they're already down. You're rubbing salt into the wound. You're supposed to be supporting your team through the highs and lows. I mean, come on. Even the Browns were getting support on their on their defeated season, right? Browns fans have stuck by Cleveland. And now look at Cleveland. Starting to pay off. They're 1-1. One one. We're 0-2. Sure, they beat a, <laughs> a third-string Jets team, right? But in the end, you know, you don't look at that. You look at the wins and losses categories. The Browns have one win. We have zero. It's time to get realistic, guys. There should be no moral victories in sports at all because moral victories distract from reality. And it's incredibly distractive for both the team and the fans. The fans need to go in with a realistic concept of the season and of their team and be supportive of their team. You know, you're going in, you're knowing the Bengals are probably going to lose. And that's okay. Be supportive, right? Cheer them on. When they get a touchdown, cheer them on. When they don't get a touchdown, cheer them on. Encourage them. Because they will improve. Trust me. I I like Zach Taylor, right? I think Zach Taylor is a huge step in the right direction. I love his aggressive offense. Now... Being a split UC and Ohio State fan, you look at Ohio State, right? Last year with uh, with um 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 uh, 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 what's his name? And you guys are gonna ream me because I can't even think about it right now. But uh, you know they they played a one dimension offense where they only had him passing the ball the whole time. Why can't I think of his name? Drafted by the Redskins. Can't think of it right now, so you guys are going to hate me for that. Sorry, I'm more closer to a UC fan, obviously, because I'm a UC alumni. Ha! Big, thick energy, right? But anyways, that burnt Ohio State when they came into Purdue. Purdue had their one-dimensional offense just read the entire way. You can't play a one-dimensional offense. Andy Dalton's a great passer, and that's why he's the red rifle. He throws a hard, clean strike. Right? That spiral, I mean, that's that's powerful enough to drill an oil rig right there. But you can't play that. Joe Mixon's got to find his footing, which he's talked about and he's held himself accountable for. He needs to start, he needs to pull up those average runs per carry. He's like, I should be running 100 to 125 yards a game. And I agree. Mixon is as close to Le'Veon Bell as you can get, in my opinion, with patience, finding the opening, and just that burst of speed that he can turn on. He can turn on those back burners. Joe Mixon has got to start putting together the run game. And John Ross has got to get consistent with catches. Because I think he leads right now second in the league in wide receiving. With uh, passing yards, right? With catches. But he could have more if he caught them more. He... I would say right now during a game, there's a dead 50-50 split between dropped passes by him and incredible passes. You know, he's catching that 
one at the end of the half to put us in a lead where he's leaping up six feet in the air and he snags it, but yet he drops one that's a 10-yard pass that's to him by himself uncovered, right? Clear open, but he drops that pass. He's got to con- get consistent with the catching, and that, that may come. I think he's getting a lot of confidence early in the season, especially knowing that he's the second-best wide receiver in the league right now. That's going to build confidence in him. He's going to start catching the ball. And, of course, A.J. Green is going to return. Now, what can one guy do to the team, you may be asking? Well, A.J. Green will take a lot of the workload off of Tyler Boyd and open up John Ross even more. So when you get the three of those guys out there, (laughs) I'm confident with the way that Dalton's passing right now. I'm confident in a huge explosive offense this season. Let's just hope that the defense can figure it out. Jalen Ramsey, right? He wants to be traded. I know him and A.J. Green aren't the best of friends, but hey, if Antonio Brown and Vontez Burfitt could be on the Raiders together, why can't Jalen Ramsey and Green? I would almost say, if you're the Brown family, you want to prove to the city that you want to win. Give up our first one or two first-round picks, like what uh, Jacksonville wants for Jalen Ramsey, and take Jalen Ramsey to put a veteran... Not really veteran, I guess. He's only a couple years in, but he is a stud at cornerback. Top five cornerbacks are like out of draft picks are really hard to find. This guy is a stud, and we need him, especially with the way that Dre has been getting burnt these first two games. Hey, look, a lot of people blamed Bullock for our loss against San Francisco. I blame Dre Kirkpatrick, and that's sad because I've, I've always been a huge Kirkpatrick fan, but he just hasn't looked like himself out there this year. I blame Drake Kirkpatrick because he let his emotions get to him when he got that personal foul call that moved him 15 yards when when they were at when we stopped them at third down and that 15 yards they end up scoring. We could have stopped them at third down. They end up scoring a touchdown because they're given 15 yards automatic first down because Kirkpatrick could not keep his cool and got a personal foul call. So I think that. You take a chance with giving up your first-round picks. You get Jalen Ramsey to add to the depth of that Bengals defense. Um, I, I think the bang, I think the defense can look really good. I know Vigil isn't looking the best right now, but hey, listen, Vigil's a great defensive linebacker, and he's been compared to Luke Kuechly, and I, I think he still has time to develop in that aspect. So, you know, you still have an amazing front four between Atkins, Hubbard, and and Dunlap, who I, Dunlap is one of my favorite players in the game. I believe. I believe. Just got to trust, right? You guys have just got to trust. Upcoming, the Bengals got to play the 2-0 Buffalo Bills in New York. I know I said that weird, New York. Uh, it's been a surprising start by their QB, Josh Allen, right? And now you may say they've all they've played are the Jets and Giants. That's true, but... The Bills are looking pretty good, right? Uh, We play them at 1 o'clock in New York. Bengals need to win this game for a morale-boosting victory. Not not for a moral—we don't need moral victories. Right now, we need a morale-boosting real win. Something to boost the fans, something to boost the team, give them a little bit of confidence, right? We need this win against the Bills. Ugh, Bengals, please pull this off. Uh, after after we play Buffalo in New York, we play 
the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh for Monday Night Football. And then the Arizona Cardinals coming back into town October 6th. These are all crucial games coming up. I think now is the time to win against the Steelers. Mason Rudolph is still unproven. Uh, remember, Ben Roethlisberger is out for a shoulder surgery. He's out for the rest of the season. So their backup, Mason Rudolph, who's drafted in the first round last year, uh, he's going to be their starting QB for the remainder of the season season he threw for two touchdown passes when he came into the game he brought Pittsburgh back into the game so you know we'll see they still got Smith Schuster they've got Connor running back and they've got Mason Rudolph who's a good quarterback so we'll see what Pittsburgh's got of course we got to play him under the lights in primetime Monday night football in Pittsburgh just setting the Bengals up for failure there right all right, so that's my little segment on moral victories. If you guys have any opinions about it, please tweet at me or let me know. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, right? Because I know a lot of people got different different ideas. You know, some people support more moral victories. They're like, hey, look, just because you lost, you know, you get back up. But to me, that's that's almost a participation mindset. What you want is you want victories. Admit that you took the loss, took the beating, and that's how you get back up. Don't admit that. Don't say, ah, you know, we lost, but we're a good team. We got this now. Be like, hey, we suck. We got beat up. We got humiliated. Let's pick ourselves back up, put on our cleats, and let's go win a ball game. Let me know what you think. Uh, tweet at me at Cincy Chase on Twitter. So let's talk about what's happening this week, shall we? Uh, So we'll start off with today, Thursday, September 19th. From today through Saturday, September 21st, is the return of Uberdome. (laughs) Uberdome. At the Moorline Lager House to celebrate Oktoberfest. The event beer garden tent will be pitched at Smale Riverfront Park behind the Moorline. Celebrate Oktoberfest Munich style with German music discount. Discount. Discounted German beer and German traditions. The event starts at 5 o'clock today. And you can get a DOS boot for only $10. Gans Toll sounds exciting, right? I did take two years of German, so, you know. But the Uberdome, go check it out. I definitely want to, when I go down and visit Oktoberfest, I want to stop by the Uberdome at Christian Moorline Logger House. Seems like a lot of fun. It's supposed to be almost like as m- the most authentic style of Oktoberfest in general as you can get. Uh, weather's looking good to gather the family together for Alt Park Summer Music Festival tonight. Admission is free. Activities for kids will be going on from 6 to 8. Beer by Christian Moorline will be available. And a variety of food vendors, including Eli's Barbecue and Kona Ice for the kids, will be there for some delicious eating. Chuck Brisbane and the Tuna Project. Never heard of them before, but that sounds like fun. will be on the main stage. So let's look forward to tomorrow, Friday, September 20th. Moorline's Uberdome opens at 4 o'clock. Fall music series at Fountain Square, hosted by uh, 3CDC, will headline Second Win. That music begins at 7 o'clock. The Reds are back in town to play the New York... <laughs> I'm having a hard time saying New York right now. I need some water. Reds are back in town to play the New York Mets for the final week and home stretch of the season. It's Military Appreciation Night in the last... Fireworks Friday of the season, presented by Rossi Fireworks. Ticket offers are discounted for retired and active members of our United States Armed Forces. Hoorah, America, USA. First pitch is at 710. Halloween Haunt opens for its annual Halloween season, Fright Nights at Kings Island. The park opens at 5 o'clock and will continue until 1 a.m. 
Are you going to hunt this year? Let me know on Twitter. I may go. You know, hunt becomes so much of the same thing, but, you know, to me, the best part about Halloween hunt is riding a rides at midnight. To me, that's, you know, it's it's nice and cool. It's really neat, especially to ride the beast after midnight because it's so pitch black. So Saturday, September 21st, weekend workout, a free community exercise and yoga event for the community is at Washington Park starting at 9 a.m. Huh, man, I wish I could do yoga, right? I would definitely go and take part in this if I could do yoga. I love Washington Park. Um, Concrete Clones, the Cincinnati Cyclones community outreach event, will be making a seventh stop out of eight in Milford at the Meyer parking lot located on State Route 28 beginning at 12 o'clock noon. The family-friendly event offers free hockey tutorials and workshops for kids by the team members, coaches, and Cyclone staff. The event will feature a tailgate with John Morrell hot dogs, T-Mobile prizes, and music by DJ Anthony Worcester. Fans can enter to win Cyclones prizes, including merchandise and tickets to games. That sounds really exciting. If you're looking for something to do Saturday afternoon and you're around the Milford area. Uber Dome at Moorline Lager opens at 1 o'clock. You see, each day it's progressively opening earlier and earlier. Do I have any fellow 80s metalheads and classic rockers out there? Sawyer Point Park is hosting their summer concert series, headlined by ACDC high-powered cover band Thunderstruck. The event will feature vendors from... (coughs) My bad, guys. The event will feature vendors from local food and craft breweries, and the music will begin at 6 o'clock. Admission is $25 per person. The Reds played the New York Mets at Great American Ballpark. First pitch is at 4 or 5, and the promotional giveaway is a 150th Reds anniversary commemorative blanket. That sounds awesome, but it's supposed to be hot. It's feeling like summer this weekend. I wouldn't be wearing that blanket. FC Cincinnati remains home in Nipper Stadium to battle the Chicago Fire for round two. The game starts at 7.30. Hey! Listen, we all know what happened last time Chicago, Chicago Fire came into town, right? When we were still in the USL. Whoop them. I got blacked out that night. Let's not talk about it. So don't miss out. Let's try to win another game against Chicago Fire. Sunday, September 22nd, we got the Jewish Festival at Washington Park. It starts at 1030 and ends at 4. The event is the second annual celebration of local Jewish culture, including food, media and arts, music, dance, and more. Your beloved Cincinnati Reds will attempt to win the series against the hot-hitting New York Mets. First pitch is at 110, and since Sundays are family days, the promotional giveaway is a kid's fathead wall decal. This is the last weekend to go enjoy your Cincinnati Reds. And it, even though it's a little hot, it's a good weekend to go. And so our event spotlight of the weekend. Guys, if you want to be the event spotlight... If you have an event going on and you want to be the spotlight that you know we highlight and go into depth about in the podcast, just slide into my DMs or send me an email, cincychase at gmail.com. Let's talk about Oktoberfest Cincinnati, a tradition in Cincinnati like none other. The second, the world's second largest Oktoberfest behind Munich, Germany. October, Oktoberfest Cincinnati officially opens up Friday at 11 a.m. Hours for Friday and Saturday are from 11 to 11 and Sunday from 11 to 9. Today, starting at 1 o'clock, so actually, like, as I'm recording this right now, Oktoberfest is hosting their annual The Running of the Wieners at Freedom Way. Before Oktoberfest officially opens for festivities, we must first crown our king or queen of the wiener dogs, right? Don't miss this fun event featuring adorable, fast little dachshund hounds, but by the time you hear this podcast, you would have missed it. (laughs) Beginning Friday at 11 o'clock is the 
Gemuts. So I took German for two years. I cannot even tell you how this is pronounced. Gemutskeit Games. We'll just say what's also known as the Goodwill Games. The event will be held on the Sam Adams main stage and will feature classic traditional games including the Beer Stein Race and Beer Barrel Roll. The opening ceremonies begin on the same stage an hour later at 12 o'clock tomorrow. Sam Adams Brewery founder Jim Koch will be the honorary tapper for the annual official Oktoberfest Cincinnati beer tapping of the keg. On Saturday, September 21st, Oktoberfest will host their annual World's Largest Chicken Dance on all stages starting at 5 o'clock. Oktoberfest Cincinnati has continued to hold the record since 1994. So let's keep it up, Cincinnati. Something we should be very proud of. I'll be at Oktoberfest on Saturday, so look for me. You know, you, if you follow me on my social medias or watch my YouTube, Chase in Cincinnati, you'll be like, hey, look, that's Chase. Talk to me. Let me know what's up. Uh, Braxton Brewery is hosting a Bengals tailgate Sunday at Oktoberfest, September 22nd from 1 to 4 during the game. $1 off all Braxton beer or Vive hard seltzers. The Bengals will be on the road in Buffalo as we discussed. So tweet at me. Slide into my DMs. Do you go to Oktoberfest? What are you looking forward to the most? And what day are you attending? If you're going Saturday, let me know. Let's meet up. Let's talk. Uh, weather updates. Let's talk about the weather for this weekend, especially if you plan on going to any of these events. Well, guys, summer still doesn't show any signs of stopping. It's going to be hot this weekend. Today, Thursday, there's a high of 84, low of 65, and partly cloudy, but I'm looking out the window right now. I'm in Mason at the moment. You know, my girlfriend and I are moving to Oakley soon. We're closing on a house right now. We're really excited for it, but right now I'm in Mason. I'm looking outside. I don't see much cloud coverage right now. It's a blue sky. It looks like a beautiful day. Uh, so get outside, everybody. Tomorrow, Friday, high of 84, low of 64, and partly cloudy. Saturday, the big day for Oktoberfest, high of 86 and low of 66 and mostly sunny. So it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a little hot there in the afternoon, but by evening time, it's it's going to be a beautiful day for drinking some beer and eating pretzels, right? Sunday, high of 86 and low of 69 and partly cloudy. Monday, it's a high of 79. As you can see, it's cooling down a little bit because there's a weather front coming in. So it's a high of 79 and low of 58 with clouds developing and a 40% chance of showers. Tuesday, a high of 79 and low of 59 and mostly cloudy. And Wednesday, it's a high of 82 and a low of 60 with another chance of showers. I'm looking at about a 30% chance of some showers there. Alright, so now you know what the weather's like and maybe you're not going to the event. Maybe you want to go to sports. Let's talk sports in the natty right now. FC Cincinnati, we'll start with you guys. FC Cincinnati won a game over the weekend. <laughs> Woohoo, you guys did it. FCC beat Montreal on Saturday, 1-0. Good job, boys. Proud of you. Alan Cruz is officially the MLS's first player to score within the first minute in multiple games in a season. This was FC Cincinnati's new head coach, Ron John's first win. I think he took over sometime mid-July, right? So this is his first win as head coach. It's been a while. Uh, we've been in a bit of a drought. FC Cincinnati played Atlanta United last night in Nipper for round two. It was a UC night at the game. Unfortunately, FCC lost 0-2. They've lost both games against Atlanta United, but that's fine because Atlanta is typically a good playoff contending team. FC Cincinnati finishes the final two games of the season at home. Their next game is this Saturday against Chicago Fire, and again next Sunday for the season finale against Orlando. 
FC Cincinnati is officially in last place in the Eastern Conference with a record of six wins, three ties, and 22 losses with a last place total of 30 goals scored on the season. If FCC can pull off at least one more victory, they'll officially beat their preseason wins prediction of only six. So you got this, guys. You're at six wins right now. You just need one more win. You can beat the odds. Beat the predictors. Remember, it is only the first their first season in the MLS. FC Cincinnati will rebound. They will improve. A quick discussion again about the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Bengals lost their home opener against the San Francisco 49ers by a score of 41-17. They got absolutely decimated. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Uh, starting left guard Michael Jordan from Ohio State exited the game on Sunday with an injury and is not expected to play this weekend until the Bills, or against the Bills. Uh, backup center from Ohio State and first-round pick Billy Price will be filling in the left guard position. He did not make the starting roster of the team. This is his time to prove why he was a first-round pick and why he deserves that first-team selection. The Bengals are 0-2 to begin the season, which ties them with Pittsburgh. Hey, at least Pittsburgh's doing bad. Uh, for last place in the AFC North, the Bengals are looking to rebound in Buffalo, New York this Sunday as they face Josh Allen and the 2-0, ba- 2-0 Bills at 1 o'clock. <laughs> I wish it was the 2-0 Bengals. Put away the Boo Birds, guys. Come on, let's cheer for our Bengals. Can't get a Who Day. Who Day! All right, the Cincinnati Reds. Let's talk about, you know... Uh, a team that's not going to the to the postseason at all, but hey, hey, after Tuesday night's four to two win against the Chicago Cubs, the Reds have officially won the season series against the Cubs. At least we can beat one team, and you know the Cubs are in a race with Milwaukee right now for the second wild card position, and they're what two and a half or maybe three games back now from first place in the NLC, and they got to play St. Louis Cardinals, who of course have turned it on or are looking like a great team. they got to play St. Louis twice, and we have to play Milwaukee. So if anything, we can play devil's advocate by ruining Chicago's chances of going to the postseason. I'm totally fine by that. I mean, I, I wouldn't even be upset if we threw the game or threw the series against Milwaukee just to make sure Chicago can't go to the postseason. But Tuesday night's game is a beauty of a game anchored by Sonny Gray for 6.2 innings of a of a four-hit, two-run baseball, followed by lights-out performances by Michael Lorenzen and Rossiel Iglesias. Sonny Gray's official... Ugh, I can't talk right now, guys. I'm sorry. This, this is why I'm new to podcasting, right? I have a, I have a ways to grow. Uh, Sonny Gray officially surpassed Nolan Ryan for the MLB's record of 32 consecutive starts of allowing only six or few hits. Sonny Gray now ranks fifth in the National League in ERA with 2.8. Eighth uh, with hitters in position with 1.086. And first in hits per nine innings pitched with only 6.3. And second in opponent OPS with .600. Since the All-Star break, Gray ranks third in the entire league with an ERA of only 192. That's pretty phenomenal. He is our ace right now. That's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Thank you, Yankees, for Sonny Gray. The Reds won yet another series against Chicago last night, defeating the Cubs 3-2 in the 10th inning. It was a great rebound performance by Tyler Molly from the last time he pitched in Chicago. Let's not talk about that. Eugenio Suarez, my favorite guy on the Reds team. Uh, he hit his 48th home run last night, which puts him in second place in the league as the season's home run leader. But most importantly, 
and what's I'm sure most dear to him and special to him, he now holds the MLB's record for most home runs hit in a season by a player from Venezuela. Way to go, Suarez. How could you not love this guy, right? And he's only in his second season of a seven-year contract, so we still have him for at least five more years. I really want Suarez to do his entire longevity, his entire career as a Red, because I love this guy. I think the city loves this guy. I think the team loves Suarez. No one deserves this more than Suarez. Such a great guy. Love him. Uh, let's discuss Schwarber's anger at Amir Garrett in the ninth inning, though. Did anyone else catch that? So in the ninth inning for the third and final strikeout to bring us to, as Marty would say, free baseball, extra innings, um, Amir Garrett struck out Kyle Schwarber swinging. Amir Garrett got excited because it's what Garrett does, right? He He's a visually and audibly excitable guy. He jumps up, he screams, he shouts because he's proud of himself and he's feeling the energy. And Kyle Schwarber told him, just go sit down, get back to your bull, get back to your dugout. Like, Schwarber had something to say about it, but come on, let's, let's talk about this for a quick second. How come pitchers don't get an opportunity to get excited? You know, when a hitter hits a home run, they're allowed to drop the bat and stare at the ball as it exits the field, right? And then, especially during a walk-off, they do a bat flip, and they run around the bases, jumping up and down excitedly, screaming while the team's running out and meeting them. And the pitcher's got to drop his head and walk off the field with the team. In a sense, Amir Garrett just pitched a walk-off's version of a pitch, right? Because he closed out the game to extra innings. He shut your team down. He has a right to get excited about, just like you do as a batter, to get excited about a hit that you make. I think Schwarber is just sensitive. He's upset because he realizes that, hey, you know, we've the Reds, one of the easiest teams to beat right now, besides the Pirates or the Marlins, right? We just haven't found a way to defeat the Reds this season. We're going to lose again, and we're we're in a volatile state right now where we could... We're one win or one loss away from either making it to the postseason or not, and we're going to lose to Cincinnati again in Chicago? Ugh. Why can't we beat this team? And so, obviously, he was letting his frustrations out. But, you know, suck it up, Buttercup. If you can get excited, if you can bat flip, or you can run, run around hopping around the bases during a hit, then he's allowed to get off that mound excited, jumping up and down. And Amir Garrett, the way he played it off by once... When Schwartberg told him to go sit down in the dugout, he like runs over, runs back to the dugout, his hands up. Man, that guy is such a character. Uh, again, I, I just love this Reds team as a whole. I know we're not winning. I know we're not going to the postseason, and we still have a lot of work to work on. But I, I like this Reds team. I like the character. I like the way they communicate with one another and the fans. I like Suarez. I like Garrett. I always like Joey Votto. I love Aquino right now. I like Irvin. You know, I like Mike and Michael Lorenzen. Uh, I I just like this team. I like Sonny Gray. I think it's a fun team. I like Derek Dietrich, even though he's done nothing for us offensively. I like having him in the team just because I think he adds, you know, a little bit of a spark and personality that the team needs right now. Um, So, yeah, I like this team. You know, Amir Garrett, get excited, man. You shut down the Cubs. Get excited. Let let uh, Iglesias come up to bat. 
with runners in scoring position and do the thing he does, which is deals in the 10th inning. Makes contact, hit the ball, get on base, get a run in. We win 3-2, game over. Cubs suck, what can I say? <laughs> All right, so the so looking forward to New York Mets coming to town this weekend for their final home series. Guys, don't miss it. If you haven't been to a game yet, go visit them this weekend. It's going to be nice weather. Uh, Friday night is the last Firework Friday's night for the season. So, yeah, don't miss out. Just know that because of Oktoberfest and Reds game happening in town, traffic's going to be a nightmare downtown. Uh, Parking's probably going to be a little more expensive, but don't let that distract you from going and visiting your Reds. I mean, if you're going downtown for Oktoberfest, especially on Saturday, it's a 4.05 start. Why not stop by and see your Reds play first and then go to Oktoberfest afterwards? I mean, you're parked anyways. You're downtown anyways. The Reds will be off on Monday, and then Milwaukee will be in town on Tuesday for the final three games of the Hall of Famer Marty Burnerman's career. Thursday is officially Marty Day. My segment next week will talk about the life and career of Marty Burnerman, and I'm titling it Belonging to the Reds. It's going to be a very emotional home series. Marty, I, I grew up listening to you. You've been broadcasting for 46 years. I've been alive for 24 so half of your time broadcasting, you know, I've, I've grown up, I listen to you and the Cowboy, and it's just going to be weird without you. You've made, I'm a huge baseball fan, I've played baseball, mostly of any other sport, I, baseball is my biggest passion out of any other sport, and you've made such an impact on my life. You are the face of the Reds to me, and it's going to be weird listening to radio without you, and I wonder who the Reds will put in the position to replace you. Tommy Thrall didn't do too bad. But it's just going to be weird without the voice, the Cincinnati Reds, the Hall of Famer, Marty Burnerman. We'll talk about him next week. The Reds will finish the season next weekend in Pittsburgh. All right, so that, that closes out my podcast, everybody. We're about almost an hour and in. How would I do? I know I stuttered here and there. Part of that, so I have like two things. One, I get mush mouth terribly, right? If I don't consist- consistently drink water, my mouth dries out. And another thing, I had a sp- I, ha- I have a speech impediment. That still affects me. I stutter. I think twice about what I'm about to say. Um, so these are all things I'm looking to overcome because... So to get to know a little bit more about me, I want to work in radio one day. I love podcasts. I stream on Twitch. Uh, Chase Shakes on Twitch if you guys watch game like gaming streams at all, check out Chase Shakes on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Chase Shakes. Um, so I, I love being behind a microphone. I love conversing and communicating to a crowd. I want to be on radio one day. Like my dream is to be on WKRQ, Q102, right? I, I love that whole staff at Q102. I want to be a radio personality. I have a lot to work on myself, but I think that I could handle the mic pretty well. And do a good job. Uh, at the same time, you know, when I'm there, I'm not talking for an hour solid. So I'm getting a little more breaks. I can I can take a, a water drink or a water break and and I'll be fine. But give me feedback on my social medias. I want to know. Are you guys going to listen into next week's podcast and future podcasts? This is only my first one. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, definitely check out my social medias, everybody. Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Again, that's Cincy Chase, C-I-N-C-Y-C-H-A-S-E. And check me out on YouTube. I do segments. I do video segments called Chase in Cincinnati, and that's the YouTube channel, Chase in Cincinnati. Chase in I-N. 
Cincinnati. But, like, you know, there's, like, a pun there. I'm chasing Cincinnati. Something goofy like that. Uh, You can also click on that link if you go to any of my social media profiles. It is linked in there. Uh, The podcast will be uploaded here on Spotify uh, and as well as uh, on the YouTube. So I don't know if if you, what you guys, what platform you guys are listening to this right now, but check out my YouTube for sure. I I love doing video content. Uh, So everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the summer weather. I know that a lot of us went fall by now, but you know, enjoy this nice, warm, sunny weather before we get piled in a foot of snow, right? Go eat at the Cincinnati Snack Shack before they close for the season. That's my latest video. If you check out my YouTube, I went to the Cincinnati Snack Shack located in Milford off of State Route 50, uh, just past Mike Castruces, you know, in Milford. That's where you can find the Snack Shack. They got blue ice cream. So you don't have to go to Kings Island for blue ice cream. It's going to be 86 degrees on Saturday, so why not? They're only open for this weekend and next weekend, and then they're closed for the season. So this is your last chance to go get some blue ice cream, have a nice burger, and I'll tell you what. Their fried mozzarella sticks are phenomenal. Highly recommend. So check out the Cincinnati Snack Shack this weekend. And guys, I will see you next weekend. So everybody, how it be in the 513. I'm Chase, and I am chasing Cincinnati.